Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. This morning, as we open up the Word of God, we are going to be looking at Ephesians 2, and we've been in a series uh, that we've called United in Christ because everything in our lives come together in Christ. And uh, Ephesians, Paul, when he wrote this letter, he's really unpacking that. He's spending the first three chapters kind of unpacking the theology of what that means for everything to come together in Christ, and that he is the one that did everything. He is the one that did all the work. And that now we get to live in him and through him. And that's really what he unpacks in the last three chapters is how do we live this great faith, this great relationship out? And so he unpacks that there. If you remember, we looked at in the first, <clears throat> in the first uh, 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 chapter that Paul starts out, praise the Lord, right? Praise and glory to God. And then we talk about what is it that we're praising him for? Well, that we've received every spiritual blessing in heaven and earth, right? We've seen every spiritual blessing that it is. And then he starts to unpack what those spiritual blessings are. He's saying, listen, we should walk differently, talk differently, be different, because we've been given every spiritual blessing. Praise of the Lord should be on our lips and on our thoughts on a regular basis. We don't live uh, beaten or defeated. We don't live downtrodden. That's not our call because of what has happened in our lives. And so he starts to unpack those blessings, that we were chosen by God, that we were adopted by him into his family, that we have been redeemed, literally bought and purchased our freedom. That we have been forgiven. That we, he has shared his will and plan with us and continues to. We are never without instruction. We are never without guidance or advice. And that we are secure in him. That he doesn't leave us nor forsake us. We don't have to worry about losing our salvation or our relationship. God is not a finicky God. He is a loving, secure, faithful God. And then we learned last week about the power that he wants us to live with, that he has indwelled the Holy Spirit in our lives that we would have this great power to live with. Now, chapter 2 picks up, right? Now, remember, we've done the chapter 1, chapter 2 stuff. We're the ones that put in all the verses so that we could tell people to get to the same page and we can get to the same part of the book, right? Those weren't part of the letters. The letters were written just like you would write a letter. You know, today we write emails mostly, but you sit down write your email. There's not little numbers in but we're saying we pick up in chapter 2. Now we all know where to be. But Paul's just continuing. He's just continuing his thought. He's continuing his letter. He's continuing his... And what he's getting to is something powerful. But he does this weird thing. It's as if he goes back. And you're like, are you repeating yourself? Well, first of all, to repeat yourself in the Hebrew or the Greek is to make great emphasis. Is to say, this is important, which is why I'm saying it. Now, my boys know when I start repeating myself, which is almost every day, every time I talk, it's all important. Because everything that comes out of my mouth to my boys is important, I'll guarantee it. They may not guarantee it, but I'll guarantee it. You know, but, it's, but you repeat yourself. Do you understand? No, no, really, do you understand? I mean, do you understand? Because if I need to say it four more times, I will, so you understand. It's the same thing in the Greek and the Hebrew. It's, it's, we repeat it because there's great emphasis to it. That's not exactly what's happening here, and yet it is. So he's going to take us back. Here's what's happened. Okay, here's why we should praise. Okay, and it says if, and we don't know, right? We don't know the motive behind 
why the Lord prompted Paul to write exactly what he wrote. But it's almost as if, all right, church, let's get this really straight. Because if you don't think that's good enough to cause praise to constantly flow from your life to, to the Father, then let me explain it this way. And I got to tell you, it, it, it's, it's going to be a little, we're going to spend the first half of this message, and it may not feel great. You're like, okay, how does that end in praise? Oh, it ends in praise, trust me. But Paul's going, we're going to remember. We're going to look at our past, we're going to see our present, and we're going to look towards our future. As a football coach, I would often get to the, a particular game on our schedule, and it would be a tough game for us. It would be a big game for us. And I would look back to the year before or the two years before, whatever it would be, and if we happened to lose that team, I didn't care when it was. I didn't want to remind my team that we had won. I didn't want to remind my team that we had beaten them. I reminded my team that there was a point in time in history that we lost this team and we would never lose them again. I reminded them, unfortunately, one of the last years I coached, I reminded them of a really big loss. And I put that score all over the weight room. I put it all over the locker room. I put posters on the field. I had banners in the bleachers while they were practicing. You were going to remember the loss that we had last year. Right? That's what we started the week with. And they're like, man, coach, I'm, I'm kind of bummed, man. What if that happens to us again? I go, I want you to remember what it felt like and what it was like when we walked off that field. I want you to remember that because that's not who you are today. Because you've been training for a whole nother year. Because you've been working for a whole nother year. Because we've been waiting for this one moment that's going to pop up on Friday. And we're going to be a different people on a different mission. And there's going to be a different result. And so then all week long, we spent our time talking about not winning the game. We spent all our time talking about the team that they are today. Right? And when you held that in contrast to who they were last year and the loss they had last year, Suddenly, we got to Friday, and it was all about looking forward. Gentlemen, two hours from now, we're going to walk out of here victors. Two hours from now, we're going to be one step closer to the playoffs. Two hours from now, we're going to be one step closer to the state championship. Two hours from now, you're going to step in to that which you've been called to step into. That was really one of my speeches. And so we would say that, right? And then let's go out and play. Let's go out and live as the, the men that we are today. And when they walked in, when they walked into the locker room that day, all those things were gone. All the old was gone. There was no sign of what had happened last year. And it wasn't allowed to come out of any of the coaches' mouths on game day what had happened last year, only who they were today and where they were going. Does that make sense? So Paul's doing. He's saying, hey, let me tell you who you were. Now, church, it's not going to feel good. But I just got to say right from the beginning, this is you. This is me. This is every one of us. Okay? It's not, it's not, it's not just a... The homeless guy in the corner. It's not just the drug addict in rehab. It's not just the murderer in prison. It's just not the guy convicted on death row. It's not just the rapist. It's every one of us. It's every one of us. Let's read. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. When you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time. Don't miss that. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh 
and following its desires and thoughts like the rest, meaning we're part of the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ when we were dead in transgressions. For it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised up with Christ, raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in the kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves, meaning the faith that we have is not from us. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works for God prepared in advance for us to be. So who were we? What's our past? We all share the same exact story. I got it that you were born somewhere else. I got it that you have some other family than I do. We all share the exact same story, and that is that we were objects of God's wrath. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you lived when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of air. And we'll go back to what the rest of it says. We were all dead in our transgressions and our sins. Paul is saying here that we are in Christ and we are dead in sin. All of us outside of Christ were dead in our trespasses. and We were dead in the things we did wrong. We were dead by missing the mark of righteousness. We were dead by turning our back on God. We were dead by the way we lived. Now you're thinking, I've never been dead yet. I'm positive of it. I woke up every morning and I have never been dead. We were spiritually dead. We were spiritually dead. We were corpses with no life in us. Is it just extreme language he's using? Is it just hyperbole he's using? He's declaring the truth that all of Scripture has declared from the very beginning. He's declaring truth that all Scripture pointed to Jesus Christ because we were all dead without hope and without life and without breath. We were all this way. That spiritually we were not alive. That spiritually we were blind to the glory of Jesus Christ. We were deaf to the voice of the Holy Spirit. That spiritually we had no love of God, no sensitivity or awareness of His personal reality. That we had... Our, our spirits never leapt at the name of Jesus. Our spirits never woke up at, the, at even the, the, the thought of God. We were dead. We were dead. There was no desire to cry, Abba, Father, or Daddy, God. There was no longing for fellowship with his people. There was no longing for community with other believers. We were as unresponsive to God as a corpse is to the world around us. A corpse does not hear the conversation going on in the funeral parlor. A corpse has no appetite for food or drink. He feels no pain. He is dead. And just as it was with the inner part of who you were, the inner man, the inner woman, you had no awakening, no life towards anything that was holy or righteous, no true hope outside of this world, no peace that would ever calm your soul and your spirit. We didn't have it. We're dead. Those outside of Christ are dead. 
That means this. If we think about that, it means this. That means the, the, the world around us is this. Think about this way for a minute. Is one vast graveyard filled with people who are dead while they are, are alive. The world around us, all those who are outside of Christ, is one vast graveyard of the dead that are breathing, existing, running after something, but are spiritually dead. That is some destitute language. That is an, an ugly picture. That is a horrendous picture. Those, those are outside of Christ. They're not sick. They're dead. Those outside of Christ are not in need of resuscitation. They're in need of a resurrection because they're dead. What causes this spiritual death is the trespasses and sin in our life. Now let me just caution you for a second because I did this the first few times I went back and started re-looking at this passage. I've heard this before. Remember, that's how I became a Christian, Tim. I've heard it. I've heard it that I'm a sinner. I've heard it that I need God's grace. I heard it. And so why do we always go over it? I had that temptation to sort of check out. And then as I was going through the passage, I thought about what Paul was doing. He's saying, don't you, don't you see who you are? If you were dead on an operating table, if you were dead on your couch, and they came in and, you know, they're pumping and they're doing, putting drugs in you and they're shocking and they're doing everything and suddenly, trash, I'm alive. Will you not celebrate life? Will you not shout for joy? Will you not go? I have been at the bedside of people that has happened to, and they're like, I've been given one more day, and I'm not going to waste it, and it's not going to go to, I'm going to live it for this, and I'm going to be doing that, and I'm going to rejoice in another day of breath. You know what Paul's getting at? Remember who you were. Remember that it was your transgressions and your sin that put you against God, and you were bound. You were a dead man or woman walking. So let's break this down real quick. What is he saying in here? He's saying that it's our sin and our trespasses for the wages of sin is death. To sin is to miss the mark. It's literally an archery term that is to miss the mark, to miss the bullseye. There's literally still competitions today in different parts where you could pull back. The archers are out there and they're pulling back in their competition and they, they pull back and they're aiming for one bullseye. Everything else on the target is white. But there's this red bullseye right in the middle. That's all that's there. It's not the rings. And they're pulling back. And as it lands, there's only two words that are said. If you hit the bullseye, mark. You hit the mark. If you miss the bullseye, sin. Sin. You see, God created us to walk with him to live with him, to be with him, to be guided by him, for him to lavish his love upon us. And when we live outside of any of his ways, when we live outside of his authority, and we take that authority upon ourselves, 
We had a bullseye in front of us, this glorious bullseye, and we've said, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to set my own mark. I'm going to live by my own direction. I'm going to have my own cadence. I'm going to set up my own boundaries. I'm going to live by my own rules. Sin. God is life, and everything about him is life. Everything outside of him is death. To miss the mark is to miss life, and it's to be ushered into death. Now, where does that death come from? Our God is a righteous, holy God. You would not want anything but a righteous God. That means he doesn't judge based upon our idea of fairness. That means he doesn't judge. His his idea of judging is not on a whim, or he's not evaluating. Please, I hope he never evaluates you and I together because I will lose. I hope he never holds you up and said, here's the standard. And, 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 And Tim, you know, you needed to be a little bit more like Joe. I lost. You know what? That's not fair enough. Joe's too high of a standard. We're going to make the standard Kevin. We're going to make the standard Sally. Yeah, you know what? Today I'm kind of cranky, and so fairness means this. And tomorrow I'm kind of excited, so fairness means it has nothing to do with our God. He is absolutely just, absolutely right. Everything about him is perfect, and everything he sees and does is perfect. That means he is perfectly righteous and has perfect justice. And judgment. And he says, be with me, walk with me, live this way, and you're in life. Outside of it, I bring my wrath, I put down, I put out anything that comes against me. We tend to think of God as simply this shepherd who hangs out with his sheep and just pets them so that there's the, 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 the fur on the sheep, the coat, just looks really nice. Jesus is gentle lamb. And oh, by the way, there's a lion coming to eat the lamb. Don't eat the lamb. Don't do it. Ouch. Are you kidding me? It's God. It's the mighty God that created all things, the all-powerful one, the one who controls and lives and does everything, the one that is over all things, the one who is absolutely righteous. And you come against his righteousness saying that my righteousness is superior You come against his righteousness, and he will put you out. Literally. And what do we have? We don't want life, then we get death. And why? Because he cares so much about each one of us. He cares so much because he knows what is absolutely beneficial to us, and he knows absolutely what will harm us. How is it that we're influenced? How is it that we came to this place of just wanting our own way. How did we get there? Well, Paul lays out three different ways. The first one, he says, is that it's, it's the world around us. He says this, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. You were born into a world that is defiant to God. You were born into a system, a society that puts itself up against God. You, it, 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 runs to its own beat. It runs to its own drum. As you're born and you begin to live, you right away begin to be influenced by the society and the culture around us. And we know that to be true because we watch it with our kids. We watch it with ourselves. We can't step out in the world without being influenced in some way or another in the direction of the world, whichever direction that happens to be in, but it is almost never heading in the direction of God and Christ. Almost never. The reason why I say almost never because there is good in the world and every once in a while, uh, they get it right. But that too leads to death. 
He'll get it wrong the next time. And I'm not talking about they as in a person. It's just literally the system of the world, the, the striving of the world. And then it says, number two, is that, and of the ruler of the kingdom of air and the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. Literally Satan. Now, we don't spend a lot of time talking about Satan, do we? We don't spend a lot of time talking about the devil. We're like, yeah, you know, that's kind of the fairy tale stuff. It's not. It's not fairy tale. It is real. There's a very real enemy of God, and he's described as all sorts of different things in Scripture, but it's always the same person. He's an entity, but he is not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. So in other words, he's not everywhere. He's not all-knowing. Uh, he can't be working in my life at the same exact time he's attacking your life. He can't be doing that because he can't be everywhere at the same time. We're told that, and we're going to study this, by the way, when we get to Ephesians 6, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time on there. Paul just says of the one who rules this world, of the prince of this world, right? And when we get to Ephesians 6, we're going to really dive into it. We're going to spend a couple weeks talking about the, you know, demon, demons and Satan and the spiritual realm. We're going to spend a couple weeks really diving into that. But for now, what we need to know is that it is real. He's called the deceiver. He's the liar. He's the tempter. And what does he do? He tempts you towards the ways of this world that he is working in. And listen to the language that Paul uses. The ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is at now work and those who are disobedient. He's everywhere. Not at the same time. His demons, his influence is everywhere. It's all over the place. It's as if the air we breathe is influenced by the deceiver, the liar, the tempter, all leading you, all tempting you, all pointing you in a direction away from God. And it's where the dead go. And as we're tempted to go there, we just go. And it's filled with all sorts of lies. This will be better. You'll feel great. You'll be satisfied. You'll have your own way. Your way is the best way. You'll be in charge. You'll be the Lord of your life and any other life you want to be Lord of. You thought have it what your way was a Burger King commercial, and it's not. It's Satan's lying. Have it your way. And that's what he's leading you to. And then Paul says there's a third thing at work. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of, of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Now, it's not talking about our flesh as in our skin. It's not talking about that. There's nothing evil or, or wrong or, or, or sinful about your, your, your skin. Your, your out. It's talking about your soul. I mean, it's talking about the essence of who you are. It's talking about your nature. And it's saying that you should satisfy those desires. Now, if you weren't buying anything else Paul was set up until this point, I know you're buying this one. Because I know when each one of us close our eyes, when each one of us gets in a dark room, when each one of us hits that really crummy moment, we know the desires that come out. We know the ones that creep to the surface. We know the ones that are quick to lash out and hurt somebody. We know the ones that are quick to take somebody else's life, even if it's only with words or thoughts. We know we have those desires in us, desires that are, have nothing to do with God. Desires are an absolute contrast to God. And it is waging war against God. And it is causing us to be dead outside of Christ. Spiritually dead. It's a virus that infected us all the way from Adam. When Adam first sinned, 
It was then the nature of man was passed on throughout every person. The nature of human beings. And you're like, come on. Let me ask you this. If you got a dog and the dog acts like a dog, you ever wonder why it doesn't act like a cat? You don't, do you? That never crosses your mind. You're like, hey, why does my dog act like a dog and not like a horse? Never crosses your mind, does it? Because you know that a dog is a dog and has a dog nature. That dog's acting like it does because its nature is a dog. Guess what? We act the way we do because our nature is sinful man. And it was passed on by the seed of Adam. Let me read you how Paul summarized it in Romans. He says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man that many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. We were born into sin. We lived in sin. The world around us pursues sin. We lived in a state of constant rebellion. So what was owed? The wrath of God. That's a bummer. Glad you came to church today, aren't you? The point of it is, what Paul's getting at is, don't forget. Because in and of yourself, you could do nothing. You were just dead. The corpse doesn't suddenly stand up and go, hey, can I have a drink of water? They're just dead. And so what you needed was to be resurrected. What you needed was to be life. What you needed was somebody that could cause you to be reborn. Here's who we are in Christ. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. God who is rich in mercy. See, we are in Christ. If we are in Christ, we have received his mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is not receiving something you deserve. We deserve God's wrath. We deserve his judgment. We deserve his consequences. We deserve the result of an unholy life. We deserve that. But in his mercy, he said, no, that is what you deserve. But in his mercy, he said, no, I'm not going to give it to you. In his mercy, driven by his love, he said, your debt's paid. Your debt is paid. I give you mercy. Now walk away. Remember how Jesus used to say it? Go and sin no more. Now walk away. What? That's That's incredible. How could you give me mercy like that? That's, wow. Does it cause you to wake up in the morning and go, whoa, I didn't deserve that. I didn't do anything to get that. I, I'm, not, I'm not good enough to receive that. And yet in his great love, he gave us mercy. While we deserve to be condemned and have his wrath, he put mercy on us. Does it cause you to have a change in your countenance? Does it cause you to treat people differently? Does your cause your worship to flow? You'll notice in your outline I put, now show mercy. I want to make sure that you understand there's a very practical side to this. Not only do we praise and worship God for who he is, and not only will we get 
especially in the second part of Ephesians, Ephesians, where we get to all the ways that we will show mercy, I just want to simply say, are you dishing it out out of your great love? That even though you could hold every single person accountable for what they did, that given the opportunity time and time again, you demonstrate the same mercy that has been lavished upon you. Do that. Even though you could declare justice, I'm driving through a parking lot. I got my family with me. This was just last week, and I was in Winchester, and we were like, oh, man, we've been driving for a long time, and, and let's, there's a Starbucks. Let's go get a Starbucks. Okay. And I don't know. I guess I'm not paying attention, and I thought the lane was going this way, and suddenly it didn't go that way. Next thing I know, I'm in between two lanes. I'm driving like an idiot. I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm like, oh, and my wife's screaming. I'm like, I know. We almost died. That's crazy stuff. Right? I know. Well, next thing I know, the two young ladies in the car in front of me that I almost hit, no doubt, they start laying on their horn and, you know, screaming and yelling and fingers are flipping out the windows. And I was like, whoa, what's that finger all about? Listen. I don't know if I deserve the finger or not, but I deserve something for driving like a knucklehead. <laughs> Could have used a little mercy. Something small, right? How about that? How about this morning? I was grabbing a soda for one of our leaders that went to camp. He said, I want a soda before I go. I was like, I'll buy you a soda, man. So I stopped at 7-Eleven, grabbed him a soda. As I was leaving, I just heard this. <laughs> I wasn't driving bad that time. Somebody else was. And this guy passes me up, and he just, listen, Sunday morning at 7 o'clock, if you're dressed up in a shirt and tie, I know where you're going. Go anyway to church. Mercy. It's been lavished upon us out of God's great love for us. Will we show and demonstrate that mercy to others? Grace. Grace. Here's what he says about grace. That we're saved by grace. And now Christ made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. This is so exciting, and this needs to cause our spirits and our hearts to jump, needs to cause us to always point towards worship and praise and adoration of God. It would have been enough for him just to forgive us. That would have been enough. But then he did the unthinkable. It's been called a scandalous grace is what it's been called. Uh, devotional writers and writers through, for, for all sorts of time have called it a scandalous grace. Because the mercy would have been, wow, the righteous God of the universe, the only one that could truly free us. That, wow, that's, that's crazy if he give us that mercy. But then grace. Grace is receiving something that you don't deserve. Mercy is not receiving something you do deserve. Grace is receiving something that you don't deserve. What don't we deserve? Life. And we are given life. What don't we deserve? Resurrection. We're given resurrection. What don't we deserve? Closeness to the, to the Father God that we flipped off and, and turned our back to. We don't deserve that, and yet we're ushered right in as sons and daughters. He's referring now back to the list he gave us in chapter 1, and he's like, do you get it? All those blessings, you didn't deserve it, and it was by the grace of God. You didn't do anything to earn it, but it was by God's grace that he lavished this upon you. He didn't just stop the consequences. He gave you life. 
You breathe now. You spiritually breathe. You spiritually live. You spiritually have hope in this life because of God's great love. And you did nothing to earn it. That's the thing about grace. You did nothing. I did nothing to earn it. That's a hard one for us, isn't it? You're like, no, that's easy. I like getting gifts. Now, to live it out, it's hard, isn't it? But you know what that means? That means we wake up in the morning and we say, Lord, you've done it all. It means we wake up in the morning and we don't try to manipulate God. It means we wake up in the morning and we say, Lord, whatever you have in this life, I know that I'm alive. I know that I have hope. I know that I'm secure. Whatever you have in this life for this day, I know it's a, it's a, it's a day I shouldn't have been able to live. I know it's a, it's a moment I shouldn't have been able to have. And I live absolutely to your glory. All praise to you. So I live it out, Lord. And yes, I know you don't need me. Swallow that for a second. I know you don't need me. And I know I didn't do anything to earn it. And so, Father, I, I praise you today. And everything I do today, I'm just going to do it in honor of you. I'm just going to do it to glorify you. I'm going to do it to praise you. And I'm going to walk through my life, and I'm going to show grace. I'm going to demonstrate grace you. I'm going to pour my love back to you because you allowed me another day to live. I was bankrupt. You were saved. You were saved. You were brought back to life, but you were bankrupt. The, the, literally, the, the bank account was empty. And he filled it with trillions of dollars. No, I'm not talking about real dollars, right? He filled it up with what? Himself. He filled it up with truth. He filled it up with life. He filled it up with the Holy Spirit. He gave you power to live in this life. And for what reason? We find at the very end, he did it so that we would be all about the good works that he planned for us. So we would now live showing mercy and we would now live showing grace and we would now live being that demonstration to everybody around us what it means, what instead of dead walking, which everybody gets to see, he gets to see the living. Now we get to go live for Christ, for the good works he created in advance for us to do. We were made for good works. We weren't made, right? We weren't made because of the good works we did. We were made for those good works. And literally what it says here is it says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do works which God prepared in advance for us to do. In Christ, because of God's great love that he lavished upon us, because of the mercy he gave us, even though we were dead and we could do nothing to earn his approval, because of the mercy he gave us and the grace he gave us that brought life back into our life, right? Brought life back to us, gave us a relationship with God. Huh. We're recreated. We're rebirthed. You're not your old self. Hang on that one for a minute. You were literally recreated at the point of your salvation. You were renewed. You were rebirthed. You live with a different DNA now. You don't have the DNA from the evil one. You have the DNA from the Father God. You have DNA from the Holy Spirit. You have DNA from the Son of God. And for what reason? To go do those good works, which next week we're going to really unpack what those good works are, but to go do those good works. But for today, I want to focus on mercy and grace. And I want to bring you back to a story that you may have heard and know. And it's from the story of, of the the play and the, the musical and the now movie of Les Miserables. It says it, it, there was this clip towards the end 
Jean Valjean is, has been released from prison. And he's walking around knocking on door after door after door. A thief, a criminal. He's not righteously convicted, but that doesn't matter. And he's going, I just need a place to stay. I've just been released from prison. Will you take me in? Will you take me in? Everybody's, no, no, you're a criminal. You're a crook. And the one that was saved by grace demonstrated grace. Sometimes we got to remember where we're from. Sometimes we got to remember what we've been saved from. That we might go and demonstrate what's been lavished upon us. That we might live for the good works that Christ prepared us to do. That he empowered us to do. That he's leading us to do. That he's giving us the faith to do. Which will allow us to live in praise and honor and glory and trust of him. For we are God's handiwork. We're no longer from the evil one. Created in Christ Jesus, knew we are now God's. To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Lavish mercy on someone else, many someone else's. Lavish grace upon others, many others. Would you join me as we pray? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your great word. Thank you for the reminder of where we've been and who we are and where we're going. That we are yours. We sit in your heavenly realms. We are, are, we are spiritually right next to you. We've been made alive. We are your sons and daughters, but we've been prepared to do good works too. To remember what you took us from and where you're taking us to. That we no longer are the old man or old woman walking. We are the new creation. And Father, we live in a country that, was, that we get to celebrate this year the independence and the freedom and what we were bought from. And so, Father, we thank you that we get to live here. We thank you that we get to be in such a place as this. But, Father, we also pray for all of our, our fellow believers that are around the world that don't live in freedom, that couldn't gather in a place like this today, that couldn't be in a moment like this, that couldn't declare your holy name. They are followers of you. They have been, been restored. They have been renewed, but they can't declare your name publicly. And, Father, we... We ask you for freedom for them. We ask you to bring change about in their life. And Father, we want to lift up to you the, the refugees all around the world that are struggling and changing and running and trying to find a place of freedom just like we have. Father, we pray for those in our own country that are struggling with some of these same things. The, the families on the border and everywhere else are struggling during these different things. That Father, that your grace and your mercy would extend and would go after them. The fathers were, were families need to be reunited and encouraged that that would take place. And Father, without there being one ounce of politics, just simply we pray for people in this world that they would know you. And that we would extend mercy and grace where it is needed to be extended. And Father, you'll show us and you'll direct us and you'll guide us into that end. But may it happen in our lives every day that we would live. We love you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next week and uh, as we continue on in chapter 2.